Totally Football Show. Premier League is back and we survey the post-potch panorama. Tuesday night's big leadership battle in London. Do you vote Levy or would you have liked Potch to remain? Plus, international news. Wales through as golf fan Gareth reaches for another club and Spain as a manager's tearful exit, but also Santa Claus for celebration. It's all coming up in the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. In the pod today, listener. Hello, Lindsay Hooper from the Offside Rule. Hello. You've got me fresh from three days off. Woo. Well, you won't believe what's gone on while you've been away. I know. I know. Number crunching's Duncan Alexander is in from Opta. Beep, beep. Indeed. And all the way from Cardiff, Tom Williams. (laughs) Hello, James. Hello to you. That was really bad, James. What? Do it again. Williams. Tom Williams. That was great. Yeah. Navalis. Net, you know. Yeah. Yes. Because that's my actual yeah. accent. I just suppress it. I have to try to Let really it hard. out, Tom. Yeah, Wales no, are never. through. Wales are through, indeed. Wales are through. Yes. Because, I mean, you were there, weren't you? Yes, I was. I was. Wow, what a night. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it was it was obviously a great night, Wales qualifying for a major tournament for only the third time in their history. But it was actually quite a stress-free evening in that Wales went ahead after 15 minutes, had a bit of a wobbly bit, fantastic double save by Wayne Hennessy at one point. Then Aaron Ramsey scores his second goal early in the second half. And that was it, basically. Hungary gave up the ghost, didn't really have a kick. Um, so it was quite a, yeah, it was quite a straightforward evening. All right, stress-free for you, perhaps, but not for others. In London, the other big news involving uh, Wales on Tuesday was the, was the reaction of Spurs fans to the news coming out of their beloved Tottenham Hotspur. The Pochettino had been booted out and uh, and then, as we discovered the next morning, Jose Mourinho brought in in his place. Well, we did a big special podcast on this yesterday. Let's begin today with the opening game of the new era mm. for Tottenham, which sees West Ham hosting Mourinho's Spurs Saturday lunchtime. It's the opening game of the round. Uh, Sean Balmford writing in saying, people say the international break is the ideal time to replace your manager. I think, Chairman, look at the fixtures and go, when are we playing West Ham? Is it a good opening fixture for Moo? Well, possibly. I mean, someone asked me yesterday on, on Twitter whether West Ham are the team that face new managers most often. And I think it's one of those confirmation bias things where everyone remembers when their team faces a newly uh, managerial up team that's not a word <laughs> yeah. but there we go um but actually i think it's probably i think it's everton that are technically but that's not a fun story if you're west ham though would you would you prefer to face this spurs or the the previous potch i think you would prefer the potch era one because they'll obviously be buoyed by the the new manager if you remember last season when Mourinho went to west ham with manchester united it was possibly one of the lowest ebbs of the very low ebbs that he experienced in the autumn he had a, a back three of mctominay smalling and lindelof and united barely got out of their own half. Right. So I think Mourinho's Tottenham, let's get used to saying that, um, will be set up differently and will do better. In recent seasons, I've covered this fixture a few times mm. and you do recognise that West Ham seem to go up a level for this match. It is the one that means the most to them, not necessarily the one that means the most to Spurs. We have to say here, though, that Pellegrini's job is in jeopardy. And if, if they lose this West Ham, he will be the next to go. I'm pretty sure of it. Yeah. You know, seven games that they, they've been winless in. Um, they're on a really, really bad streak alongside Spurs. Um, I mean, you look in the table, 16th they are at the moment, West Ham. And they were talked about as being one of these top seven contenders at mm. the beginning. Um, and they've, they've got a lot to contend with at the moment as well. Lanzini broke his collarbone, didn't he? So they haven't got him. And... I think Roberto is just a calamity in goal. The sooner Fabianski can come back, uh, the better. But that isn't going to be until late December. But he he just lets goals in. So when you look at Kane, Son, Eriksson, Deli Alli, you think that he's definitely going to concede. Yeah, it's it's a strange season in the sense that there's been a lot of goalkeeper injuries. And we thought, you know, opening night of the season, Alisson got injured. That's going to be a massive blow for Liverpool. Turned out it wasn't that bad because Adrian, who West Ham kind of let go, that was a mistake, um, was good. But West Ham have really struggled. Obviously, City lost at Liverpool because partly because Claudio Bravo had to play. So, yeah, I totally agree that Roberto is not ideal. Spurs have won their last two visits to the London Stadium. If they win this, there's every chance that West Ham could finish the weekend in the bottom three. They Tom, they won hmm. as well in the Carabao Cup as well, didn't they? So I think they Spurs. Yeah, I think yeah. they've got three. Fair point. Three 0 win means I'm could take Spurs up to fifth. Remarkable. And West Ham, who have 
in no way set themselves up for a fall in this game by tweeting out a very provocative video reminding uh, Jose Mourinho of the outcome on his last visit to the stadium. So I'm, I'm very confident that won't come back. To was that the 19th back. century football? No, that was different. That was at Stamford Bridge? That was at Stamford Bridge, yeah. Right. That's when... Big Sam. Yeah, it came into the press conference room and I think the line was... Uh, he can't take it. He can't take it that we've out-tacticked him. I love it when Jose cries. Love it, etc. That's where the 19th century football Which headline came from. Which is also referenced, from. I think, in West Ham's video. It is also referenced in yeah. West Ham's video. And most of it focuses on, as Duncan mentioned, the 3-1 defeat in September last year, when it looked like Mourinho was basically you know, beneath the executioner's axe. Mm. As, it, as it turned out, he stuck around for another couple of months without really improving his situation. Um, so, yeah, a nice, a nice spicy one for Jose's I, return. I see that West Ham have actually taken that video down now, perhaps aware of the... Uh, the convenience of nailing that to the, the dressing room wall for it's, it's very much the spirit of the age to take down videos when you realise that you perhaps shouldn't have put them up well indeed um, very on trend what, what about Spurs' video with which they unveiled Jose Mourinho with the soft Muzak in the background I thought that was an ex- extraordinary uh, way to try because and that's his capture new the image. zeitgeist that's his new image James that's why because he's calmer Mm. It's not going to be as aggressive anymore. One. Yeah. It really sounds like he's selling a retirement home to somebody or something <laughs> like that. I couldn't be happier. And if I was not as happy as I am, I wouldn't be here. What can I promise? Passion for my job, but also passion for my club. It's a privilege when a manager goes to a club and, uh, and feels, you know, that happiness it's become part of the Mourinho cycle that at least the last two times he's he's taken on a job in this country his return to Chelsea and then at Manchester United he was the happy one at Stamford Bridge and then again he was going to be more conciliatory and he's he changed and you know he's making he's putting out the same messages I've read so many articles where you know he sort of said I'm ready to kind of adapt the way I work with players blah 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 this is Jose Mourinho he, he doesn't change does I mean, he but fair play to Spurs for trying to to soften the uh, you know the grievances of their fans by presenting him in this this very soft focus way to sort of you know give Tottenham fans a bit of hope in the five full seasons that Mourinho has managed a London team in the Premier League he's won the title in three of those seasons which is alright and if you remember the first season at Manchester United when he had Zlatan fit for most of the season they were pretty good you know they won a European trophy they won a domestic trophy if Zlatan hadn't got injured I think the second season would have been better as well so and he's now got Harry Kane to call and so you know I think there's been obviously a lot of meme-worthy lulls this week about what could happen. But I, I think that you know Tottenham had to make a change and I think this will work out in the short term. This, this fixture has multiple narratives, though, because you also get to the bottom of what sort of Mourinho we're going to get this time. And I know that you know Tom's indicating that probably it's the same one and it always has been. But against Pellegrini, because there is no love lost there, if Spurs do well that? in this... What, what was the basis of that beef? I, I think it's probably because Pellegrini, when he was at City, had been quite forthcoming that he was it in press conferences in the in the lead up to one of the matches against Chelsea you'll know that he was a football manager in England at the time Mourinho was so (laughs) anyone like that anyone older than him as well anyone older like I mean he didn't go full Alan Pardew who really did lay into of course they're both former Real Madrid managers as well I'm not sure if there's some Mourinho I didn't I'm sure Mourinho bad-mouthed his record at Madrid at some point Mm. and it'd be surprising if he hadn't okay in broad terms then Duncan you're a fan of this move Mm. Tom, you are as well? I wouldn't say I'm a fan, but I think that, I mean, when you look at it, the, the most striking thing is that Mourinho is a very different kind of coach to Pochettino. He doesn't have anything like the same sort of football philosophy. And in that sense, it doesn't feel like a very good fit. And I think that's something that Tottenham fans who've been reacting to this over the past couple of days have mentioned, you know, is he going to bring the kids through? What's going to happen to our style of football? Which are completely valid concerns. But I think if you look at the age profile in the Spurs squad, right. we know that Mourinho struggles to get his message across to young players. Most of the players he's going to be working with, you look at that first 11 that has hasn't really evolved all that much in the last few years. They're all quite seasoned players now, some of whom have seemed to have lost their way quite spectacularly. You think of Christian Eriksen, you think of mm-hmm. Dele Alli, and I think those are the sort of players who might be receptive to a new message. So this is not me predicting right. success, but I think there are, you know, there are reasons for it. How much do you think could uh, impact his success, the fact that he's coming in mid-season, which he's not done 
I hadn't realised this since 2002. So all of his big success stories, really, have, have seen him having a proper run-up at the, uh, at the mm. season. Well, January could be massive for him because Tom's mentioned Apparently the not. seasoned players. Well, uh, no, if you come to the seasoned players, Toby mm. Alderweireld, Jan Vertonghen, they're going to be out of contract at the end of, of this year, at the end of the campaign. So in January, he has to bring in two centre-backs if he knows that he cannot keep those players. So what he has to do, and I would have thought with the seasoned players, this is going to be exactly what Mourinho has to do is nail down those two to the club for longer. It's something that Daniel Levy doesn't like to do, giving more than one year contracts to older players. But I imagine that will be top of his list. He needs Alderweireld. He needs Vertonghen in that team, in my opinion. He needs to settle and decide what he's doing with Danny Rose, who I think is a, a key player in all of this too. I've been reading around and Ake at Bournemouth and mm-hmm. Diaz at Benfica are a couple of players that apparently Mourinho admires and could be centre-back moves that he could go for in January. But he is going to have to act quick if he already knows that those players aren't going to stay. It depends on how he sets up as well. You know, you look at Tottenham under, under Poch in the first couple of seasons, they were in the top two or three for, for pressing in terms of winning the ball back, high up the pitch and, and getting shots off. That they fall into eleventh this season. So that you know really they really are sitting back. And you know, does Mourinho try and revert to the to the old style or does he try and double down in, in pure Moo style? A quick question here from Ian Harrison, who asks, which players are most in danger of stagnating or losing form or having their life force drained out under Mourinho? Should England be worried about Winks and Kane? Uh, Winks might be an interesting one to, to pick up on. Okay. Just in that generally the, the profile of player who Mourinho likes in that deep-lying midfield role mm. where Winks has been playing most of the season is a bigger much more physically dominating player. Um, of course, we saw Winks playing further forward recently with England, but in the main, he's he's played in that role in front of the defence. So I think if, if Harry Winks is going to keep his place in the team, it's probably going to be a little bit further forward because I don't, I mean, certainly in recent history, there haven't been many examples of Mourinho trusting a player with those physical characteristics, with that responsibility as the sort of chief protector of the space in front of the back four. Building this squad is also going to be completely reliant on what happens with Poch next because Poch has got a pulling factor with a few players. So if Poch goes to Man United, which probably is one of the most likely moves to happen. According to what we were saying in yesterday's special, yes. Yeah, then I would say, for instance, Son, who's a player that absolutely loves working with Pochettino, would be in danger of leaving Spurs. Harry Kane... I I think is a little bit different because he has records and and targets in mind at Spurs itself. But if it wasn't going well after a year or so, would probably go. Mm. So there are players that you think, how is he going to mould those into the team and then potentially lose them? Great point. Do you know what's going to happen on Wednesday, the 4th of December, Lindsay? Amazon. (laughs) For me. Oh, yeah, you do, don't you? Which game are you doing? I'm doing Chelsea against Villa. Okay. Well, somebody's going to be doing Man United against Spurs. Wouldn't it be amazing if United hired Pochettino by then? Oh, that hey. would be incredible. And, and for them as well, the Amazon doc tick, right. the Amazon uh, rights tick if they get that as well. Well, indeed. Man United taking on their former manager. That's 4th of December, the midweek round. Of course, not long after that, Rinia's going to be up against Frank Lampard's Chelsea. Uh, Tom, have West Ham got any chance of getting Mourinho's uh, new era off on the wrong foot? And if so, how? I mean, their form does not suggest much reason for optimism, as Lindsay was saying seven games in all competitions without a win. You look at the recent league performances, 3-2 at home to Newcastle and 3-0 at Burnley last time out when they just got absolutely played off the park. One thing I would say is that I think the international break tends to favour teams who are out of form rather than teams who are in form. If you're in a great run of form like Chelsea, who we'll talk about later, you don't really want the international break. You just want the momentum to sustain itself. Pellegrini's had a couple of weeks to drill the players... So if West Ham aren't better after that and the situation could hardly be more desperate, you do have to ask questions about his ability to to turn this around. And again, to pick up on a point that's been raised earlier, Roberto looks like one of the worst goalkeepers I've ever seen. Maybe there's a good goalkeeper in it, I don't know. But so far, he's sort of Massimo Taibi levels. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Listen, it feels like ages since the Premier League's been in action. Of course, it resumes with Liverpool eight points clear at the top of second place Leicester City with third and fourth Chelsea and then Manchester City. Manchester City, who this Saturday will be hosting Chelsea. Title rivals. Yeah, this is only the fifth time in the last nine seasons that City are facing Chelsea in the Premier League below them in the table. Um, And they haven't won any of the previous four. 
when wow. that's been the case. So, yeah, you might have looked at this fixture a few weeks ago and, and thought City would, you know, they, obviously they destroyed Chelsea in this fixture last they season. They did. It was 6-0. But this looks like a different Chelsea, Tom. Is that fair? Yeah, very different Chelsea. I mean, six wins on the spin. Um, obvious feel-good factor around the club with, with Frank Lampard coming in and all the young players playing well and... Um, yeah, I, th- I think it'll be an interesting test for Lampard in, in terms of how he approaches this tactically because generally Chelsea like to have a lot of the ball but I think one thing that might suit them well against City is the pace they have on the counter-attack you think about Tammy Abraham, Pulisic, Willian there's an awful lot of pace in that team so I, I think they've got I think they've got the tools to, to hurt City um, and City have obviously spent two weeks stewing on that mm. that 3-1 defeat at Anfield and Pep Guardiola losing the plot slightly on the touchline um, and you kind of feel like if City I mean yeah, if, if City are to get back into the title race they need to go on the kind of run that they went on at the end of last season where they basically went 19 games and only dropped a couple of points I think. What Chelsea needed going into this fixture was to stabilise a little bit more at the back and we've seen Kurt Zouma put in many better performances. He'll be fairly fresh. He wasn't used by France during the international break and I think that his form has been key to Frank Lampard exploring more with, with a few of other other players and the one weapon I think he could use in this match mm. is Rhys James. Ooh. And I think that could cause Pep Guardiola problems, his pace. Rhys James, who impressed so much in Chelsea's last uh, result, that win at home to to Palace. City, as you mentioned, Tom, coming off that uh, disappointing performance at Anfield. Will they be up to scratch this time and not in a Raheem Sterling and Joe Gomez sense? What we can say is it should be a pleasing to the eye game. These are the only two teams to uh, average more than four passes before a shot this season. So they are the, the purveyors of quality football. And it's also going to be very emotional for Frank Lampard going back to the uh, club <laughs> where he made his name as a, as a midfielder in the Premier League. That's so true. All right, that's one of the many interesting games coming up. But it, I mean, it's, it's potentially though, a really significant game because if Chelsea do win this game and they've won their last, what, seven on the road? Then they become title contenders. And City will look completely out of it by that point. Well, well it, de- it depends on what happens at Selhurst Park, I would say. If, if Liverpool win again, then... Right. I mean, whoever loses out of Chelsea and City a, a long way back. But if if Liverpool suffer a, a, a Chris Ball situation, then right. it obviously opens it up for the other teams chasing. Liverpool facing some ghosts of the past yeah. as they return to us. But they have actually won their last four visits there since the dark days of Brendan and, and Luis Suarez. Which is probably why it has the three o'clock billing on a Saturday because otherwise I thought that that would have been a a magnified match but I guess with West Ham Spurs and Man City Chelsea no one would argue that those are probably the bigger fixtures this weekend but Palace have always had that ability to shock and certainly against Liverpool they're sort of one of those teams that they probably feel a bit apprehensive about playing. Well touching briefly on that game at Selhurst Park what is up with Palace they've lost three of their last four in the Premier League all three of them by uh, two nil score lines the other one was that two two at Arsenal when they were 2-0 down and then they had that extraordinary... This is the Bournemouthification of the mid-table of the Premier League where, you know, teams will go on a run of two or three wins in four or five games and then the reverse, you know, so they'll go on, they'll shoot out the table a little bit and then they'll kind of fall back and, you know, Palace are on a slightly bad run, but I'm sure in a few weeks they've been on a slightly good run. What's happened is exactly what I thought would happen, uh-huh. which is that they have no one to score goals. And although Ayu had a little purple patch, right. he was never going to continue that. Do you know how many players have scored goals for Crystal Palace this season? Have no. a guess. Uh, three. It's actually four. But to put that in perspective, 13 have scored for Liverpool. The only possible issue is... Mo Salah and Andy Robertson could be out for Liverpool. Now, what we've seen with Liverpool when Salah's been out the season, which he has a little bit, is that it really affects the productivity of Trent Alexander-Arnold because teams are able to double up on him a bit more if they don't have to worry about Mo Salah. Mm. If they don't have to worry about Mo Salah and Robertson, then they really can concentrate on what Alexander-Arnold's doing. And Palace probably are one of the better teams at closing the opposition down. This is where Liverpool embark on that ridiculous midwinter schedule of a game kind of every three days until the new year. They've got Napoli coming up in the Champions League midweek. If Liverpool don't slip up then, uh, defeat for Man City, just return to the Man City-Chelsea game, would effectively, can we say that, even given their propensity to go on long winning runs, it, you can't see them coming back from that, surely? You can't, but I can't I can't rule them out either because of what happened last season. So I think that there is that ability with City to get quite a few wins on the spin whilst other people are maybe drawing and dropping points. Uh, but you certainly would think that if they lose this one... And Liverpool it, win. Yeah, it's a much, points. much bigger mountain to climb. So, early, so much earlier on in the season as well. All right. Loads of other interesting games coming up, including Arsenal taking on Southampton 
And, ooh, Sheffield United, Man United. Hmm. We'll get on to those a little bit later, but after this, let's quickly wave goodbye to the last international break of the year. Please, uh, sir, I have a ticket here to board the uh, HMS uh, Domestic Glory. Um, I'm sorry, Mr Guardiola. What is it? Is the ticket uh, not uh, valid? Uh, no, Mr Guardiola, I'm afraid um, that ship has sailed. Man City may have quite the task in catching Liverpool in the title race, but we still have them as favourites to beat Chelsea this weekend. So we're offering money back as a free bet on all markets if they do. Paddy Power, home of the money back special. Pre-match singles on this match only. Max free bet £10. Exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus begambleaware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Right, last international break until March has just been completed. Duncan, you're going to miss it, I know. Yeah, it was on my knees there. Big news is, as we mentioned at the top, Tom, Wales are there. What a night in Cardiff. What a performance from Aaron Ramsey emulating Wales legend Ryan Giggs in, in only turning up for one of the qualifiers, but but being absolutely decisive. Well, quite literally, in the sense that he hadn't started a Wales game for a year um, due to the various injury problems that he had at the end of last season with Arsenal, and and then uh, since he arrived in in Turin with Juventus, uh, with Juventus. <laughs> Sorry, my <laughs> little personal pronunciation. Uh, how to speak football? How to speak football? Yeah, ironically. Um, yes, yeah, so Ramsey's missed the entire qualification yep. campaign, and prior to. The game on Tuesday, he had not spent a second on the pitch at the same time as Gareth Bale. Wow. Obviously, Wales are two big stars, emblems mm. of the Euro 2016 campaign. Took them 15 minutes to link up for the opening goal. What, what Bale, a header it was. Fantastic header. Bale with the cross from the right and Ramsey with a header. Um, and then a couple of minutes into the second half, Ramsey gets uh, the second goal from a free kick and was brilliant. And he'd only played half an hour of the 2-0 win in Azerbaijan. So there was there were question marks about his fitness. In the end, I, I don't know whether he came off towards the end. I was a bit carried away with excitement at that point. But he basically played you know, the entire game um, and was fantastic. And yeah, that's, that's Wales qualified. And it was an interesting night for, for Ryan Giggs, I felt, in that... As we know, there was quite a lot of opposition to his appointments. There'd always been a feeling during his international career that, yes, he played for a succession of very bad teams, but that perhaps his heart wasn't really in it. Um, various other matters that have had a negative impact on his popularity in recent years. So he really had his work cut out. And, you know, I think a lot of us, we will have seen that documentary when he uh, took charge of Man United at the end of the David Moyes season and those shall we say, less than inspiring team talks, which didn't create the sense that this was a great manager in the making. But what he's shown in this campaign particularly is an ability to identify problems in the team and address them. He's made various changes. He brought Kiefer Moore, the Wigan striker, into the team that's freed up Gareth Bale and got Wales just playing much better football. And he's made some really bold choices. I mean, the, the, the team that started against Hungary, you had five players who'd, who'd been at Euro 2016, Wayne Hennessy, Ben Davis, Joe Allen, Ramsey and Bale. And the rest were the young kids who, who Giggs has brought in during the course of the campaign they obviously really enjoyed playing for him and and uh, the feeling with a small nation like Wales that qualifies for a major tournament as they did at Euro 2016 and goes on a great run is that because the nature of international football is so cyclical that might have been it for the next 20 30 right. years but actually suddenly you realize that this this team now um could go on qualifying for tournaments for the next 10 years. Do you think it could be years. better than the 2016 team? I think there's more depth in the squad. Um, I think that Euro 2016 team, the, the starting 11 was probably stronger on paper in the sense that you had experience in every position. Basically, everyone was a, a Premier League starter, whereas in, in the current team, you've got guys who are either on the bench at Premier League clubs or guys who play in the Championship, even League One, Lincoln City. Joe, Joe Morrell started the last two games, played really well. Um, but I think it's beyond that. It's the strength in depth. Harry Wilson was on the bench against Hungary. David Brooks out at the moment right. um, nothing wrong with League One mate I, wrong I'd like Wolves to come in for Joe Allen I'm saying well, it now Johnny January. says Johnny writes in he says Bale plays for Real Madrid Ramsey plays for Juventus how come Joe Allen plays for Stoke <laughs> I find it slightly mysterious and this is not just pro-Welsh bias um, on my part I mean Joe Allen is, is a fantastic player I mean he's he's been one of the key figures in the qualifying campaign for Wales he was absolutely instrumental against Hungary breaking up the play he does that role that everyone wants now mm. I, I think he could slot into any Premier League team in the country and not look out of place. Brilliant. Um, Gareth Bale uh, could probably slot into quite a few teams and may well have that opportunity. Maybe uh, a Mourinho one? Possibly so, Lindsay, especially after Gareth inched a little bit closer to a Real Madrid exit with his uh, cavorting underneath that banner with the 
fateful message, Wales Golf Madrid. Um, <laughs> we'll, not... ask, we'll ask Alvaro about the reaction to, uh, to those scenes in Madrid a little bit later on. But uh, I mean, it was delightful to see him so happy. Yeah, and as as I've said on, on previous pods, he clearly loves playing for Wales, yeah. getting out of that Madrid bubble. And the Wales Golf Madrid thing is clearly a joke. It's gone down well. Half <laughs> has gone down and absolutely they're laughing, laughing their socks off in Madrid. But a, a joke that's probably gone a little bit too far. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, there's blame on both sides in mm. the the kind of impending bail Madrid divorce. But he, yeah, I mean, you you can't blame him for having a laugh about it, but. From a political perspective, perhaps not the wisest thing he's ever done. Okay, uh, what would Joe Allen's Wales flag read? Well, so there was a, uh, an accompanying chant on Tuesday night to go along with the Wales Golf Madrid bail chants, which was Wales Chickens Stoke, <laughs> a reference to the fact that Joe Allen once appeared on the front cover of Chicken and Egg magazine. Good magazine, that right? Yeah, <laughs> always comes first. Well, I was going to say, say, should it have been Egg they, and Chicken? Yeah. yeah. How did they settle on the title? I mean, I think Who you can knows? make a Christmas... Maybe, maybe it alternates week to week. I chicken think... and egg. Egg and chicken. <laughs> yeah. I think you can make a Christmas game out of the old three-pronged thing. So okay. you've got to name a, a country you like, yeah. a sport you like, and a capital city, and then you've got to remember... You know those games you have to kind of remember what everyone else has said. So, you know, you start with Wales, Golf, Madrid, and then I might say Chad, Netball, Astana, and then you say something else. It's Chad, Netball, Astana. Could get you through that tricky 5 to 6 p.m. slot on Christmas Day. All right, OK. Or you could just watch World's Strongest Man. Ah, uh, yes. All right, Good which doesn't job. actually start till Boxing Day. Or watch Rod Stewart's Railway. Uh, I don't think anyone's made a show on it um, yet, have they? Is it going to feature really in yours? No, no, no. Mm. Uh, ours is, is very much a, you know amateur modelers. Mm. Got a strict no, no rock star policy. Yeah. yeah. Right. Who else qualified this week, Tom? So you got just more to, on Wales. Just to come back on Wales very briefly to right. finish the, the Ryan Giggs point. Yeah. At the end of the game, after the players had been cavorting and everything, he was end, ended up being the last man on the pitch. Hmm. And he walked off and was applauded by all four uh, corners of the ground and looked pretty emotional apparently in the changing room afterwards he was he was quite emotional and it, it felt to me like the moment that he was fully embraced as Wales manager and he's never had a moment like that with Wales no. before as a player it was only misery heartbreaking near misses in qualification so it feels like Wales are kind of moving forward in a slightly more unified go, fashion gets to go to an international tournament well yeah for the first time he certainly was twinkling in the uh, in the post-match interviews, calling it one of the happiest days. That's dangerous, of his James, life. when he twinkles. Is it? Yeah. Why, Lindsay? <laughs> As history would prove. Why was he twinkling? When he's got a twinkle in his eye, <laughs> you just want to keep your distance, don't you? All right, Lindsay, that's um, that's a dangerous day. <laughs> so that was Wales. Who else qualified this week? Denmark got through with a with a not overly convincing draw in Ireland. Right, OK. 1-1 uh, it was. Ireland ending their group stage, having had fewer shots than Luxembourg, despite playing Gibraltar twice. Mm. But Matt Doherty did score. It's a good header. Mm -hmm. But Ireland, I mean, I watched this game. I watched the second half. Um, Denmark scored with their first shot on target, which came <laughs> on the 73rd minute. It's always bad, isn't um, it? And Ireland kind of huffed and puffed and equalised and sort of nearly scored but not really OK um, yeah. Ireland will go into the playoffs alongside Scotland and Northern Ireland who they could meet in a playoff final before that Northern Ireland have Bosnia I think that much we know the rest will be confirmed by the draw on Friday all sorts of exciting teams in those playoffs Belarus Bosnia Herzegovina Bulgaria Georgia Hungary Iceland Kosovo North Macedonia Norway Romania Serbia and Slovakia Scotland will be in there too they of course had that 3-1 win on Tuesday over Kazakhstan, which is their third win in a row. And uh, that man, John McGinn, at it again. That's three goals in two games for him now, for Scotland. Just to say, we can possibly link from this game back to the Premier League, excitingly, with How? Stephen Naismith ah. to Everton-Norwich, which is the Stephen Naismith classic. That's, that was next on my list, Everton-Norwich. So Away you go, Duncan. Um, Stephen Naismith scored in that game, the oldest player to score for Scotland since Kenny Miller against England in 2013. Oh, you're genuinely doing it? Yeah. Okay. And... As if by magic, this weekend in the Premier League, we've got the Stephen Naismith Classico, Everton-Norwich. <laughs> remember, Ever Stephen Naismith scored a perfect hat-trick in the Premier League for Everton um, a few years ago, and Norwich then decided to buy him. I was going to call it the Mike Walker derby, along with the Ute, there's a but lot yours of, is much better. Well, I don't think it's better, but there's a lot of links between in this fixture. Um, right. It's also the first ever game to see a player score four goals 
F and a Koku back in the day. Brilliant. Here's another link between Premier these League two games. Teams. Just to clarify. First yes. Premier League game. Another link between these two teams. They're both in the relegation battle. Norwich, bottom of the table. Everton dropping to 15th in the last round of games, albeit six points clear of the drop. Norwich, their man Temu Pukki, uh, has got five goals in three matches for Finland in the period of time that he hasn't scored any for Norwich. Got a brace, didn't he, for yeah. Finland in their in their magnificent qualifying match for the European Championships. Is he going to be able to... to is he going to reignite his league campaign? Yeah, because unlike Au, when I spoke about him for Palace, if I said it was a mini purple patch, I think for Puki it's much more than that. And he's shown by continuing to score for Finland. The thing is, he hasn't got the delivery. Any striker needs to have the balls in the box or to have the player that's, you know, checking for the runs. And at the moment, they're all so preoccupied with tracking back and defending and going deeper and deeper as I've watched them in recent weeks that um, going forward isn't a priority right now. We can point out that Norwich and Puki scored not many yards from Goodison Park at Anfield. That's true. But it is their only away goal of the yeah. season and that was in the hot mid-August. So All the way back on day one. Mm. All right, well, that is very much Everton-Norwich. Do you know what? Uh, that link was lovely, Duncan, but we haven't finished off our international news because I bet our listener would love to know more about what on earth is going on with Spain, who finished off their qualifying campaign with a whopping 5-0 win over Romania and promptly changed managers again. Tearful scenes at the Wanda Metropolitano uh, after the joyful ones that had followed the goal-scoring return of Santi Cazorla. Uh, Gavin says, what's the story behind manager Roberto Moreno walking out in tears from Spain? Well, let's dial up our man Alvaro Romeo to get the latest on that and the rest of the stories. Well, first of all, I would like to say that uh, the gist of it uh, is good and is right. I mean, a manager who had to step aside because he had a family tragedy is returning to the national team. Robert Moreno recognized in September that if Luis Enrique wanted to return, uh, he would step aside. So all those things that we think that they, they are right, they happened. And a, a very good coach, a Champions League winner like Luis Enrique, is going to be the Spanish manager for Euro 2020 and World Cup 2022, which is good news, obviously. The problem here is in the continuity of Robert Moreno. Before the game against Romania, the reporters started saying that Luis Enrique will be the coach, that Robert Moreno won't be uh, the assistant coach. And uh, that uh, obviously started the whole hustle. Because on Robert, after the game against Romania, he said goodbye to the players in tears, and then he walked off and didn't give a press conference. The thing here is there are a few questions that haven't been answered. Why Luis Enrique uh, didn't want to have Robert Moreno as a second coach? Apparently, apparently Luis Enrique wasn't happy with uh, Robert Moreno's behavior, but obviously Luis Enrique won't say in his presentation uh, what happened with Robert because this is a private matter. And uh, also why the Spanish FA was so incapable of tackling the, the, this problem. At the end of the day, uh, it's a positive thing that the manager is ready to return to his job. It's a positive thing that uh, he's uh, psychologically well to take over the Spanish national team. And uh, Robert Moreno, in September, said that he would be happy to step aside. So what happened between these two for this not to happen nicely and smoothly? This is the question. OK. Uh, Luis Enrique back then. Among the many success stories under Moreno's time in charge was uh, the return of uh, Santi Cazorla after so long away from the, the national side. And he was particularly crucial to Spain's performances over the last week, the victory over Malta and, and then on Monday against Romania. Yes, you're right, James. And uh, it's a very nice story because Cazorla is part of uh, Villarreal. And Villarreal last season was about to be relegated. And Santi Cazorla was already the best player at Villarreal. And this season Villarreal is doing very well. And uh, it seems like... Uh, it's very unclear who is going to be that extra midfielder in the Spanish national team. Could it be Parejo? Could it be uh, perhaps Dani Ceballos? Or Santi Cazorla? And Santi Cazorla at the time is the, the best of all of them because he's playing great football. And uh, probably the Euro 2020 is going to be his last comp international competition. And personally speaking, I would be very happy for him to be that player because he's bringing to the Spanish national team a little bit of uh, black and white touch to the Spanish national team because he, he's a reminder of the good Spanish team in 2008. Interesting news elsewhere for Real Madrid after Gareth Bale's celebrations post-Wales qualification for the Euros and that flag... What do you think the ramifications are going to be for Gareth of his Wales Golf Madrid banner? Well, I believe that probably Santiago Bernabeu um, are going to be 
Harsh on Gareth Bale. Um, but uh, I think that Zinedine Zidane and Real Madrid players are going to be more pragmatic about all this. And yes, uh, Gareth Bale perhaps is not the most popular figure uh, among uh, Real Madrid stars, but at the same time, he's a, a hell of a tool for Real Madrid, especially now that they are playing PSG uh, next week. So I wouldn't be surprised if Gareth Bale uh, starts playing competitive football for Real Madrid straight away, maybe this weekend, maybe next uh, week against Paris Saint-Germain. But I believe that Santiago Bernabéu is going to is going to give uh, Gareth Bale a very cool, uh, if not uh, irate, uh, welcome. I see. And do you think this hastens his departure from Madrid? And if so, to where? I don't think that Gareth Bale is going to be more hated or less respected by Real Madrid's board after this, uh, because uh, this has been an ongoing situation for a long time. But obviously. In Spain, reports uh, are saying that uh, they didn't like the way he presented uh, the celebration uh, of uh, ways being qualified for the Euro. And uh, among Spanish media and Spanish fans, there is this sense that uh, Real Madrid was a little bit the laughing stock uh, for Gareth Bale. And uh, obviously, as I said before, perhaps not the club, because the club at the end of the day is going to be pragmatic and uh, is going to give Gareth Bale the opportunity to play again. But uh, definitely the supporters are going to be Definitely uh, hard on him because at the end of the day, uh, they've been waiting for this player for a very long time. And uh, let's don't forget one thing, James, and I end up with this. Gareth Bale played in the October qualifiers against, uh, well, with Wales. And since then, he hasn't played a single game for, Real, game for Real Madrid. So he played in October for Wales. He played in November for Wales. But in the meantime, he didn't feature for Real Madrid. So I think that he's going to be also booed because he's never available when needed. Alvaro Romeo, who will be rounding up all the weekend's league action in Tuesday's Totally Football show. Now, mentioned Liverpool's trip to Crystal Palace. Should they slip, poised to catch up some points, are Leicester. Leicester, who've won six of their last seven in the Premier League. Leicester, who've won their last four by an aggregate score of 15-1. to The Foxes are a team in form. Where are they going to be playing this weekend? At Brighton. Ooh, Tom. Yeah, and Brighton, whose recent home form is decent. Um, they've won their last three at home. That very easy 3-0 win over Spurs at the start of October. And then that fantastic comeback at home to Everton when they were 2-0 down with, what, 10 minutes remaining, turned it around to win 3-2. Um, and then 2-0 at home to Norwich uh, in the last home game before the international break. Lost at, lost 3-1 at Man United right. in their most recent fixture, but I, not the sort of game that's going to des- decide their season. So, I mean, given Leicester's four, and I, I, th- I thought that what win... Leicester did when they last went to the South Coast. Coast, eh? Well, indeed, they obviously like the uh, the air down there, um, and I mean, yeah, I thought that win over Arsenal was was quite a big one for mm. Leicester because it was a very close game. I didn't think Arsenal were were terrible. You kind of felt like whoever got the first goal would go on to win it, and as it happened, it was Leicester. And unless it was said, Arsenal. Given their problems holding on to leads and that kind of thing. Well, yes, that's actually a good point. Leicester, obviously, in fantastic form. Four wins on the spin. Uh, impressive win over Arsenal last time out. But yeah, Brighton have got a bit of momentum behind them. Um, decent home record. So maybe maybe not the foregone conclusion we might think. Although, when you remember what Leicester did last time, they visited a South Coast side, eh? Hmm? Yeah, but different prospect. Um, Southampton were were showing signs of, of being that bad, mm. I would argue, in in the lead up. And I think Brighton have been the other way, going in a different direction because, you know, Graham Potter's starting and his style is starting to, to really take hold. I would suggest that one of the things that Leicester have here is a rested Jamie Vardy. So a lot of teams have got players coming back from international duty, including my very own Wolves, who've got Raul Jimenez coming back. I think he's got less than 48 hours after playing in Mexico. So you've got all these different teams that have got that to juggle, whereas Brendan Rodgers can look Jamie Vardy in the eye and know he's well-rested and he can go again. All right. He said he hasn't been playing football. Whether he'll be well-rested, we, we, we can't say with any confidence. Plus Ben Chilwell, off the back of his uh, hat-trick of assists yeah. for England, ready to supply the bullets for Vardy again. The big shadow of Maurizio Pochettino hanging over one club now, that club is Man United, who this weekend make the trip to Sheffield United. Do you know what's famous about this fixture? There are lots of famous things about this fixture, and I have things to say on All it. All right. But you go. No, you go. No, don't you go. go. All right. It featured the first ever Premier League goal. Woo. That is one of the things. Brian Dean, five minutes into the opening weekend of the Premier League, the first ever Premier League season. 
Do, will this one prove as historic, this match? Oh, you've got other things, haven't you, Duncan? Yeah, there's that. The, the United's goal in that game, assisted by Peter Schmeichel, the first player to assist a Manchester United goal in the Premier League, which was always nice. Um, it's the Sean Bean Classico. Obviously, when Saturday comes, they're not terribly good film about Sheffield United where they somehow play an FA Cup semi-final at home in midweek but we'll have to overlook that um, what, what, what's the Man United angle on that? well they play Manchester United oh in, in the game, game do yeah, they? right yeah. and what's the result? well give it away well I think they sh- should know no I don't think no, we should no. well let's just say that Sean Bean's character yes. Jimmy Muir um, steps up to take a penalty right oh. at the end it could go either way that really could yeah you should watch it I might just watch the end um, anyway back to the present day I think this will be a really good game so a match rich in history this Tom will this one prove as, as, as narrative laden do you think Perhaps not as narratively. And I was going to say, just to add to the Sheffield United versus Manchester United canon, Eric Cantona scored two of his best ever Man United goals on that ground. Oh. A, a chip from the edge of the penalty area in a blustery FA Cup tie, I think it was. Uh, and then there was a goal he scored after a one-two with Ryan Giggs, a I think, at some chip, point. if a, you will. A grease, well, there you go. Perfect. Uh, I'm going to this, actually, on Sunday. Oh, nice. My first trip to Bramall Lane, which I'm very excited about. Um, and yeah, I think it'd be a good test for... Manchester United, because their away form has been quite poor this season, only won once away from home, lost 1-0 at Bournemouth last time on the road. And Sheffield United, of course, unbeaten in five league games and have already dispensed of Arsenal and Burnley at Bramall Lane this season. And they're above Man United in the table, Mm. one point clear of them. Mm. The curveball, though, is that... Who's been a very good player for, for Sheffield United this season? Lundstrom. John Lundstrom. He has been good. Who else has been good? Fleck. Yeah, he's been good. Let's get <laughs> Dean Henderson in goal. Oh, been yeah, very yeah. good. Yeah. And he can't play in this oh, game. Oh, is he on loan in... from Man United? Exactly. So they're going to be playing Simon Moore, probably. That um, first ever Premier League game that we mentioned, uh, the Blades actually won that 2-1, but that was all the way back in August 1992, the last time they've beaten Man United at Bramall Lane. I'm undecided whether Ali Gunnar Solskjaer will be thankful for the... Pochettino Mourinho news mm. in the sense that it's distracted everyone away from United's poor form because I think had that not happened coming into previewing this weekend we'd have been saying well if uh, if they lose at Bramall Lane then Ole Gunnar Solskjaer could be the next one to go or is it making them talked about anyway because Poch being linked with the Man United job has made it even more so I'm undecided that's Sheffield United Man United team sandwiched between the two of them are of course Arsenal who this weekend are going to be taking on Saints. Saints who come into this game on a run of six defeats in the last seven. You mentioned teams who are on a poor run of form having an international break, Tom. This is this is where Ralph Hasenhutler has to make a difference. Now, he's had the international break to try and get a reaction from his team. Is he going to get it? Well, we will find out on Saturday. And as I think we've, we've discussed on this pod uh, multiple times, Southampton being as poor as they've been this season I think it's quite a big surprise because Hasenhutl had such a positive impact when he came mm. in last season and obviously he is a very accomplished manager in terms of his, his previous achievements in Germany and you're you're still waiting for that Hasenhutl bounce to, to come back and as you say I mean seven league games without a win six defeats one draw is, is clear relegation form not an ideal place to be going to I mean Arsenal not in great form themselves generally strong at home um, so yeah you, you do feel I, mean, I don't know whether the clock is necessarily ticking for Hassan Hoodle but if, if they can't get out of this rut soonish I think right. that question is going to be is going to be asked I think Saturday's game is going to be played to mm. the soundtrack of clocks ticking for managers yeah. on both sides no? if Arsenal had been away this mm. would be more about Emery but because they're at home and they've, they've got quite good form at home then maybe Arsenal won't be as much of the forefront of the discussion but Ozil could get a third appearance in the Premier League um, and that's Emery having to bat down in Wenger-esque style with a little bit of stubbornness over him, isn't it? And Aubameyang, who who really causes a real debate here because without him, Arsenal would struggle much, much more without his goals. He's he's obviously providing them. But I also think that he, as, as was warned when he joined from Borussia Dortmund, has this factor where he can divide a dressing room a little right. bit. And that's, He's been their latest captain controversy over the internet. Yeah, and he, he went on social media to say, because so the controversy for those that missed it was that um, apparently 
there are segments of the dressing room and Emery himself that are not fans of Aubameyang speaking to Arsenal fan TV as much as he does. He's very frank and open and gets his, uh, his points out. Aubameyang then went on social media, posted whilst he was away on international duty with Gabon, saying, I will say what I want when mm. I want. Now, that is easy to see between the lines that there is going to be a segment of the dressing room that, despite what he brings in terms of goals, are going to say, well, this isn't on. Yeah. And there will be part of the dressing room that are like, well, it doesn't really matter what he says or does because he scores so many goals. Do you know that even with the goals he scored and even with the fact they've got Lacazette as well and Pepe, Arsenal have a negative goal difference. Yeah, this is the latest into a season they've had a negative goal difference since 1982-83. So. Wow. But it, it, so, I mean, there's, that speaks pretty clearly to dissent in the dressing room if mm. he's speaking that openly, disagreeing that openly with, with directors from the club. It's a it's a pretty similar situation, isn't it, to Spurs, a, a wildly underperforming team that in many ways doesn't seem to be fully committed to the manager's project. I mean I think the big difference is that Spurs were once good under Pochettino <laughs> and Arsenal have never been good under Unai Emery and were not good under Arsene Wenger for a long time. I it's not like it's not like final. it's not like an empire that has crumbled uh, yeah. an empire that has crumbled. I it. liken them to a car. So if Arsenal were a car, two wheels have come off, Xhaka, Aubameyang potentially. Oh. And you've got two more wheels keeping it going. Which and wheels the, are they? the front right, the back left. Wheels? Yeah, front right, back left, it can still move. Which who are the wheels that are still turning? Ozil. Okay. Ozil's a really? big question mark. <laughs> I think he's a spare tyre, isn't he? Well, it? he might be a spare tyre, but he's he's a question mark that could perhaps be a spare tyre that could be used. They could be back on three wheels. But if you use a question mark as a tyre, the prong of the question mark would just keep getting <laughs> stuck in I'm the road. I'm not sure, Tom, because, and listeners will be happy for me to point this out, the prong of the question mark is round. It can roll. <laughs> yeah, sorry, take it back. Take it back. It so, completely works. So anyway... Duncan's, but, so, Duncan's thinking hard on this one. Right, he's looking... So the, to the sky is right Sadly, now. they're not on the road in this fixture, uh, Arsenal. Uh, they are at home to, to Saints. Do mm. you see, is this where Saints, who are languishing down there in penultimate place, is this where they bounce back and cause Arsenal a serious question for the Saints week to come? Saints have played 20 times away at Arsenal in the Premier League and never won. It's the longest run without a win of any away team at any place in Premier League history. So right. if they're going to turn it round, it's, it's a big shout. Arsenal will have to lose up to four or five more wheels, I think. <laughs> wow okay that's uh, Arsenal up against Saints I have a funny feeling that Saints will spring a surprise in that game uh, also coming up this weekend Bournemouth taking on Wolves Lindsay yeah ninth versus eighth I'm a little worried Are about you? this uh, see, what, what comes with success is that you get more players called upon international duty, and we've seen right. that within the team. So I, I mentioned earlier about Jimenez, who's been away with Mexico, mm. um, and that's a, a long journey for him to come back and recover from, and he hasn't got much recovery time, only one session uh, training in, in preparation for this match. Also, Traore withdrew from the Spain squad. It was his first international call-up with an injury. Oh, he went to Spain, did he? Because there yes. was that question about whether he was going to hold out for Mali, was it? Yeah, no, he went to Spain, and he withdrew with an injury which is really concerning the mm. form he's been in yeah. um, Matt Doherty did score for, for Republic of Ireland so that's a positive but overall from a Wolves fan point of view I would say I'm a little concerned about this because uh, without Traore potentially Jimenez not not fully uh, fit and raring to go off the back not of full of beans yeah mm. off the back of travelling so much um, I, I do worry. Uh, the only thing with Bournemouth, Ryan Fraser, have you seen all these stories around him at the moment that he's described himself as a loner? Oh, have you seen that? I haven't seen um, that. Apparently him and um, Mark Pugh, when Mark Pugh was at Bournemouth, were right. pretty inseparable. And now Mark Pugh's gone, he's feeling quite isolated and is saying that he's not that happy at Bournemouth. Oh. A lot of loneliness in Bournemouth. Can we pay tribute to Bournemouth's um, almost perfect Bournemouth-esque record at the moment? They've won for... Drawn four, <laughs> lost four, scored fifteen, let in fifteen. I mean, that's that's gloriously symmetrical, isn't it? And Wolves are quite a symmetrical team in oh. that they draw more games than they either win or lose, okay. which suggests an afternoon of symmetry. Could be a draw this one, yeah. Okay. That's the vitality. What about then Watford's clash with Burnley? A match which could see the Hornets climb out of the bottom three for the first time this season. They've had three clean sheets in five. They're coming for the first win of this campaign. It was nil-nil last season in a shockingly dull game. Uh, and Duncan, you're excited to see if Chris Wood scores. Is that right? Yes, he's now gone joint top of the uh, building material Premier League goal-scoring charts with Stone. 
right brackets s close brackets um so yeah he can actually wood can become the top material uh we're also <laughs> we're on course for this to be the first burnley season under sean deitch where they've not had a booking for simulation which you know makes oh yeah he'll be happy with that he will be happy with that um doesn't point out that they did get simulation bookings in in previous campaigns so um yeah and obviously he's going back to his old club so hopefully it'll be more exciting than last season okay speaking of going back to his old club steve bruce a year and a month on from having a cabbage thrown at him by villa fans as he exited the Birmingham side will return there on Monday night as Villa host his Newcastle team. Big six point to this. this? Uh, Aston Villa are the team just above the dotted line. Newcastle are a little bit further up in 13th. This game is actually quite a grudge match. They re- Villa and Newcastle have got a bit of a kind of hidden hatred for each other. Everything. Going back to the, the time when Villa relegated them in 2009. Um, they had a big banner which said "Sob on the Tyne," um, which, and Newcastle got very upset. And it's it's basically um, carried on from there. So it's actually, you know, a pretty good game for Monday Night Football in terms of a bit of needle. Very much so. Villa on a run of three defeats in a row, but playing nice football. Is that fair? Yeah, I've been quite impressed with what I've seen. You've talked about McGinn being in good form. Mm. Um, I also think Mings is a great leader uh, to have in the side, and that's the thing that Newcastle are missing because Lascelles not there at the moment uh, they're saying can Shelby step into that role and, and I'm not sure that that's an ample replacement I think Lascelles was so important to Newcastle I do wonder if that might come into play with this one well uh, that's the Premier League weekend then Lindsay mm. there it is uh, should we get some odds on all of that producer Ben has been speaking to Paddy Power Well, thank you very much, Jimbo, and how nice it is to be back, listeners. With Lee Price from Paddy Power, Lee, the big one this weekend is City versus Chelsea. Give us some markets on this one, please. Well, Man City are odds on to win this one, and my word do they need to, if only to give you and I something to talk about in this section, Ben. City 2-5 to to get the three points here. Chelsea are a burly 6-1 with the draw 7-2. And we at Paddy Power offered money back as a free bet on all markets, Manchester City win. Uh, TNCs apply there, of course, because they'd have to on such a mad offer. League leaders Liverpool are off to Selhurst Park to face Crystal Palace. We've been saying that actually this isn't so much of a bogey side for them anymore. Um, but can Palace upset the Reds? Well, to put this one in context, the odds are exactly the same as the City Chelsea game, even though Liverpool are away from home. They're two to five here. Palace six to one to get the upset, or you can get seventeen to ten that they don't lose. That bet is called double chance if you're looking for it. And while we're talking about long shots, Andros Townsend is eleven to two to score any time in this game. And last but not least, he is back. He is taking charge of Spurs at West Ham. Can Moo get his first win for Tottenham? My man, he's back. He's blockbuster, and he's being nice for now at least. But we do think that will continue as Tottenham are odds-on favourites to win here. They're 8-11 to and we expect goals. The excitement Spurs fans so crave. 2-1 is the most popular scoreline and that's priced at 7-1. to West Ham are 3-1 to win and give Jose an immediate excuse to ask for more money to spend. It won't take long, will it? The draw is the same price. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. David Gibson tweets in and he says, hoping we can get a segment on Wales with an H, Tom, after a very enjoyable dinosaur chat last week. I don't have much in the way of Wales with an H chat, but I mean, if you want to talk dinosaurs again. I know a fact about blue whales. Go on. Go on. Well, they have a. a it's about why long... the sea is so salty. No, why's that? I think it's probably because of what you're about to say. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Let's have some more dinosaur chat. <laughs> I was going to give you a dinosaur of the day, uh, Baryonyx dinosaur that I'm very fond of because it was discovered Baryonyx. in 1983. Baryonyx. B A R Y O N Y X. No, I just had to refresh my memory. A, a big fan of this dinosaur partly because it was discovered in Britain, oh, yeah. which is quite rare for the for the the big dinosaurs. Right. Um, and in 1983, the year of my birth. Um, this was a large fish-eating dinosaur, which had a large claw on its um, its two sort of not front hands. What's the what's the biologically claws? correct? Like it's it's sort of like it's yeah on its its hands that it used to fish fish 
from uh, rivers. You really are a dinosaur expert. And, yeah. and it was a, a relative of the Spinosaurus, the, the gigantic, terrifying dinosaur with the big sail on its back that was the star of Jurassic Park 3. Did it fish purely in British waters? Is that the... Can't confirm. Well, all the all the um, the, the continents were all sort of one big kind That's of mass, true. which made fishing. Was it found here because it got here and then died? Yes. Yeah. yeah died. But it was native of these shores, baryonyx. It would have been. Yeah. Brilliant. How yeah. many different kinds of dinosaurs were there? An awful lot. Uh, we were asking before about football films, or at least you brought them up, Duncan. Oh, I'm glad we've moved on to that. I can offer you nothing on dinosaurs. Okay. What is your favourite football well, film? If you I, were going to recommend one football I film. wouldn't necessarily recommend this because it is terrible, but oh. Green Street 2 remains... Well, I've poss- seen Green Street 1. Oh, Green Street 1, bad, but in a conventional way. Green Street 2, the, the plot is basically the Chelsea and Millwall firms have both been sent to prison, but by some uh, crazy coincidence they've gone to the same prison, which is a prison seemingly in New Mexico, where oh. everyone in American-style orange jumpsuits, yet it's supposed to be in the UK, and through a various plot twists, um, it ends up with a fight between them, and whoever wins the fight is allowed to be set free by the what? governor. It's a difficult enough job with the overcrowding without the rivalries of the hooligans to deal with. David, you and your two pals are being transferred. Thank you, sir. Now. Welcome to your worst nightmare, lads. You just want to do our time, nice and easy, no hurdles. This is my house, see? And I'm going to do everything I can to make your time here unusual. The only chance. Hello, girls. It's a time and a place, mate. You really want to do this, you call me out. Of getting out alive. We've been designated temporary authority to affect the early release of some prisoners. Why not let them compete for this prize? Comes down to one fight. The winner of this game gets to walk out of here next week. It's it's possibly the worst film I've ever seen. Yet so bad, it's sort of good. Yeah, I, that's you, you make it sound quite enticing. Uh, certainly more than Green Street One, despite you know the hot, strong Hobbit factor in in that one. Yeah. Mm. Okay. What's your favourite? Uh, what's oh. your favourite football film? Olivia? Well, the thing is, you're all going to scoff, but I am a female on this podcast, and I think that it was a game changer when Bend It Like Beckham came Bend out. Bend It Like Beckham. Because it addressed not only the gender issues in football; it started that conversation of girls being able to play and mm. um, being encouraged to to be part of the sport. And I was already working in or wanting to work in football at that point. Um, and then also ethnicity; it, it, it addressed that mixed racial relationships right. it did so many things so I'm going to say that it was important for those reasons it wasn't necessarily the best film in the world but I think it did address uh, some issues that needed addressing at that time brilliant well, that's lovely <laughs> you've zoned out though you really no, do you have because I was thinking I've never seen Bend It Like Beckham oh. I've seen loads of football films you know the obvious ones like Escape to Victory yeah I mean we could go down that, those routes United but... Passions the FIFA Vanity Project which is an astonishing uh, and I think probably almost libelous movie. I mean, it's extraordinarily <laughs> vicious in its treatment of of the English, um, just quite nastily so actually. Uh, but also really weird things like uh, that bizarre uh, Robert Duvall Scottish manager one. What was that called? Shot at Glory. Or? Yeah. Shot at Glory. Yeah, in which Ali McCoy is really really good. Mm. Uh, anyway, Tom. Jurassic Park, yeah? Jurassic Park, yeah. I don't think there are any football sequences in Jurassic Park yet. I'm going to go with a hipster choice oh, nice. of Zidane, a 21st ah, century portrait. Right. I thought you were going to say soccer. That was my number Mogwai. two. Soundtrack by Mogwai. Right. Just Zidane doing his things, talking around the pitch, and then getting sent off. The soundtrack's good, but it's an incredibly dull film, I would say. Yeah, you've got, you've got to be in the mood for it. Yeah. You do have to be in the what mood, mood for it. What mood would you have to be in, it for, in for it? Um, not looking for entertainment. You've got to be quite a sort of... Actually quite busy anyway. Yeah, if you were held captive, that, that might help. Okay. Lindsay, you're off to Leeds v Luton this weekend. The other way around, Luton v Leeds, but yes, Good. I am. Okay. Uh, which you, you probably want to listen to the Totally Football League show in I preparation. Do. I do. I'll do that on the way home. They're going to be talking about that game. They're going to be talking about Neil Harris's appointment at Cardiff. Also, the incredibly sweary exit of Michael Jolly, the... Uh, Ironically named Michael Jolly uh, from Grimsby, in which is it 58 f bombs in four minutes? I believe so. Check that out for confirmation. Uh, you've also got a busy program of uh, WSL fixtures, I imagine, have you? Um, yeah, WSL will have that show on Monday. We're about to record the offside rule as well, James. And oh. one of our discussions, you've spoken about Bale with yeah. his Wales golf and then Madrid. Yes. We're, we're going to talk about other footballers that put country before club. Okay. For example? <laughs> 
Uh, well, I don't want to reveal everything. Okay, well, all right. So you can find out listen. what in the offside rule. Tom, I know your weekend has got to include a lot of PSG Lille love. Yes, yeah, so I think I might actually miss that. That's okay. Friday night. Uh, Mbappe doubtful for PSG with a fever. And Ooh. Lille without starman Victor Ossimhen, who mm. is suspended. Uh, so yeah, so I'm at Sheffield United, Man United on Sunday. Mm. Potentially at West Ham Spurs on Saturday. Slightly panicked, late accreditation request pending. Um, and then I'm also doing Spurs Olympiacos on Tuesday. So very Brilliant. much a, a moo-tastic weekend. All right, it's Olympiacos, not Bayern. Yes, so they've got Bayern away That's to in the come, final. but their next right. one is home to Olympiaca. And I think if they win that, they are through. Right. There's all sorts of drama in Serie A. Napoli, we mentioned their kind of ongoing mutiny, which there's been a bit of a ceasefire on. Uh, but they are going to be taking on uh, Milan on Saturday tea time, Saturday lunchtime, Atalanta Juve. Bit of a bit of an exciting fixture, that one. And Sunday sees a surprise top four side Cagliari. At Lecce. Milan, in the meantime, in talks with Mina Raiola now about the return of Ibrahimovic. Uh, I imagine, Duncan, you are going to be all over the Copa Libertadores final River Plate against Flamengo. Well, it's just been announced that the BBC are going to be showing it. Brilliant. Um, what time would we tune in for that? Quarter to eight on Saturday evening. Oh, that's not too Flamengo bad. Flamengo v River Plate, yeah. Right. Now, previously, our discussions over Boca and River and all that and Michael Cox. Michael Cox was poo-pooing this game. He was saying that the only reason people like those clubs is that they never watch them. And if yeah. they did, they'd go, this football's rubbish. So people can tune in on Saturday and make their own informed decision. And if right. they disagree, I would encourage them to, to contact Michael on Twitter. <laughs> Absolutely. River in their third Libertadores final in four years. So they must be doing something right. Flamengo, meanwhile, the first time they made it. In 38 years, almost four decades for maths fans. Uh, interesting. And uh, if you if you like that, keep an eye on uh, Marcelo Gallardo, who's the uh, river manager, because he is strongly rumoured to be next in line for Valverde's job at Barcelona. Well, we'll, uh, we'll have a review of that, no doubt, in Monday's Totally Football Show, which will feature Daniel Story, Michael Cox and Sasha Gurionov. So there's that. Meantime, Lindsay, enjoy the offside rule. Looking forward to hearing that. Thank, Thank you, you for being with us today. Tom Williams, many thanks to you as well. And Duncan Alexander, our heartfelt appreciation for your input today. Have a great weekend, listener, and we'll see you Monday. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com.